Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, June 22nd is just moments away. Before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, our sponsors, as well as... Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke. They talk about all this stuff. It's true, including very great political columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky and our colleague Maya Duke-Masovic. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com and become a binhead, ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y for more information. It is Tuesday, June 22nd, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Filibuster Bust Tuesday. Ah. And here's Filibuster Bust. Yes, ah. I was up all night thinking that up. My I week- was actually up all night anyway, but that's a whole other story. My weekend was great. But yes. Yes, I know you went to Wisconsin. We discussed this already. And you were at a bar in Milwaukee watching the uh, Bucks defeat restaurant. the Nets. Is that restaurant. Correct? Restaurant. Excuse me, restaurant. I'll just edit that out, okay, when we do the uh, podcast drop. You just edit that out. Uh, you were at a restaurant in Milwaukee, and it was very exciting because all the cheeseheads were really happy because their beloved Milwaukee Bucks defeated uh, the Brooklyn Nets in Game 7 of that uh, best-of-seven series and moved on to the finals in the East. Is that correct, Senator? That is correct. All right. Uh, so I had a great time watching basketball, too. Folks, before I get down to the filibuster news, uh, in Washington and bring on my guests who's sitting there and waiting uh, very eagerly to come on. I just have to say a word about the basketball game uh, this Sunday between the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers. And there is a purpose to this other than sports. So it'll be permitted on this political talk show, allowing me to talk about basketball uh, because there is a purpose to this. The matter I want to discuss deals with a guard for the Philadelphia Sixers named Ben Simmons. And I have like a mini obsession with Ben Simmons right now. He's a great, great player, great passer, great defender, great dribbler, uh, but he cannot shoot. And as a result of his inability to shoot, he's like, it's overcome his brain. He's tortured. He's He's mentally tortured. It's like he can't hit a free throw. It's in his brain. So instead of shooting the ball, he passes the ball because he doesn't want to get fouled, go to the line and deal with the pressure of hitting the shot. It's a fear of failure. You could see it in his face as he's on the free throw line. And he's, you could just see it in his brain. He's saying, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. And then, of course, he misses. And I'm telling my wife like about this. I go, oh, my God, you got to watch this. My wife's a hairdresser. I go, imagine if you were afraid to pick up scissors. You're a great hair cutter. You're a great colorist, but you cannot pick up the scissors. You're telling yourself, pick up the scissors, pick up the scissors, pick up the scissors, and you can't pick up the scissors. 
Imagine being a podcaster and you can't talk. Just look at the mic. I ask every single guest who comes on the show, can you talk? It's, it's We don't have a lot of requirements on the Ben Jarowski show. You have to be able to talk. Just looking at a microphone is not good for podcasting. Can you imagine a podcaster just looks at the microphone? I can't talk. And of course, in the world of sports, there's actually absolutely no sympathy for Ben Simmons. After the game, where the, which the Sixers lost because he was afraid to take a shot in the fourth quarter, it was just like the, the commentators ripped the guy. It was like Shaq came on the show. He goes, man it up. You're from LSU. Shaq's from LSU. Ben Simmons is from LSU. Somehow or other, people from LSU are not supposed to be tormented by mental afflictions. Charles Barkley's like, get out of the game if you can't play. <laughs> Just all ripping the guy. And it's like everything else with mental issues in this country. We say we care about it, we, but we don't really care. We say we should do something about it, but we don't do anything about it. It's not treated as a serious matter. It's just like, man it up. Anyway, I'm with you, Ben Simmons. I feel for you, and I hope you conquer this. And I hope next year, even I'm beloved, uh, my I'm a fan of my beloved Bulls. I want my Bulls to win. If the Bulls can't win, I want Ben Simmons to win because I want to see him conquer this. All right, enough on sports. Let's get down to business. I see that uh, former President Barack Obama is giving his endorsement to Senator Joe Manchin's compromise voting rights bill. Uh, it's similar to the voting rights bill that the Democrats have endorsed. Uh, the Democratic senators, I should say, and that we've been talking about on this show for quite a while, except that uh, it would maintain ID laws. Follow me on this, folks. Apparently, public opinion show that 70% or so of the public wants early voting. They want a federal holiday for Election Day. They want fair maps. They want rules governing legislative map making so there's no gerrymandering across the board. Not just Illinois, where the good government people are saying, come on, Ben, let's take away our advantage in Illinois and ignore what the Republicans are doing in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Florida, Georgia, et cetera, and so forth. You see the latest, by the way, they're firing election workers in Georgia, making them liable for prosecution if they what? Disagree with Republican legislation. This is serious stuff, folks. This is a serious infringement on voting rights. But the public likes ID laws. And this is another example a brilliant Republican ghosting. The Republicans are really good. I got to give them credit at creating fraudulent issues so they can Im- implement solutions to non-existent problems that are really intended to maximize their advantage. And then some guy in suburban Wisconsin says, oh, it's compromise. Sounds good to me. So Obama's came out for the p- compromise and it's classic Obama. He always owes. He's a little overture to the lefties. He goes, well, it's not the voting rights bill I would want, but Let's not let perfect be the enemy of good. I think it was Obama I first heard. I never heard that one before. Let's not let perfect be the enemy of good. So anyway, that's uh, the man of compromise, Barack Obama, the man of reason, always believing in the inherent good of his opposition. And then there's always his good nature assurance to his lefty base. I'm with you. Just so you know, in the confines of my heart, I'm with you. But the reality is we can't pass this bill just appealing to ourselves. We have to reach out and touch somebody's hand, make this world a better world if we can. It reminds me of the time, the first time I heard uh, Barack Obama address a group of lefties, it was in Rogers Park, and he was assuring them, a fundraiser, he was assuring them that he agreed with every single one of them about the need for restrictive gun control. But 
in order to get elected, you got to appeal to folks downstate. And they don't agree with uh, you, uh, all the people in this room on gun control. So maybe once in office, I could do something about gun control. But right now, I got to get elected. And all the lefties are like, okay, sounds good to me. Write a check, give it to Obama. And we still don't have gun control. Anyway, the Dems have the votes in the Senate to pass the voting rights legislation. They have the votes to pass a law that 70% of the public wants. They have the votes to pass a law that would neutralize the unfair election Republicans uh, the unfair election advantages Republicans are trying to exploit in order to steal the 2022 congressional elections and then steal the 2024 presidential elections. But I doubt the Democrats are going to use those votes because it would require striking the filibuster. And Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema are against that. You know, I was just thinking you could just strike it for the voting rights bill. I mean, these are just Senate rules. You can make them up as you go along. You could strike the filibuster for the voting rights bill, then put back the filibuster. Everybody will forget that you struck it. Really, nobody will remember that you struck the filibuster for this one act. You come up with some reason. I don't know. That's what legislative aides are for. They concoct reasons. You know, Obama could come up with a good reason for you and make it sound good. Get a lawyer out there to write that, you know, the law, you interpret it, whatever way. That's why you hire people like this. Democrats are always worried about the details. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway. Nope. Can't do that, apparently. Uh, Manchin just cannot sign on to anything that would even temporarily take away the filibuster will. So, meanwhile, Obama and Manchin pretend they can round up 10 Republican Senate votes to cut off the filibuster, to pass a voting rights bill, that the Republicans wouldn't pass in a million years. Because the whole point of having these horrific voting rights, anti-voting right bill, is to give Republicans an advantage. You think the Republicans are going to voluntarily give up the advantage? They're trying to steal an election. Democrats are acting like the Republicans are playing fair. Oh, Dems, Dems, Dems. When will you ever learn? We got a great show today, everybody. I'm looking at my next guest, Dennis Kosef, a striking nurse. Is it a strike yet? We're going to get into that. Uh, talking about what's going on at Cook County and very interesting dilemma that lefties uh, face in um, the Chicagoland area. I from the mayoral election, I remember all my beloved lefty friends would tell me, Ben, you got to vote for Tony Preckwinkle. Ben, Tony Preckwinkle's awesome. She's the greatest. She's the president of the Cook County Board, and we want her to be the progressive mayor of the city of Chicago. Now she's at the forefront of a really uh, like a, a potential strike. Curious uh, how she's behaving in relation to uh, how maybe Lori Lightfoot would act. Uh, and then uh, in about uh, 15 minutes or so, Alderman Raymond Lopez, Raylo, yes, the conservative Democratic Alderman from the Southwest side will be on the show. Come on, lefties, you can listen to Raylo. <laughs> uh, I love having Ray Lowe on the show, so it'll be interesting what he has to say. So we're going to have, have Raymond Lopez. But first, Dennis, uh, thank you for uh, coming aboard and uh, sort of laying out the issues for us. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Appreciate your, appreciate your time. Appreciate your audience. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it looks like we might be uh, on the picket lines this coming Thursday, uh, June 24th, starting at 7 in the morning. Well, we've been in negotiations with, with the county for our contract alongside our, our union siblings and SEIU 73. 
and uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, but as it stands right now, it's from my understanding, it's not it's not looking so good. What we're fighting for is is better staffing, better resources for the communities that we serve. Um, I, I've worked at uh, county, at Stroger in the ER, as well as at Provident. And the thing that just really strikes me, strikes me about this situation is that healthcare was reduced on the south side during a pandemic. Um, I worked at, at Providence ER as, as, a, as a part-time nurse there, and they closed my job down. They said it was due to budget cuts. They cut two, They closed down two clinics uh, on the south side. The Woodlawn and your South Clinics were completely closed and collapsed them into uh, Providence uh, Sengstack Clinic. Um, and it just is outrageous to me that during a pandemic that's disproportionately uh, killing African-Americans, that these cuts uh, were happening uh, to the county health system. And, and this was passed unanimously. That's another thing that's kind of stunning to me by the Cook County commissioners. There was not a single vote against it. Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars was removed from that budget, and um, services have been reduced. And it's, it's never a good time to cut services. We know that Chicago is the home to some of the greatest gaps in life expectancy. And to me, that is just an outrage. I, I was reading a study recently in Chicago has the number one status. We're number one, baby, when it comes to gaps in life expectancy in Streeterville, up by the Mag Mile. A uh, very rich, very wealthy neighborhood. The average life expectancy is 90. People live 90 years old up there. Eight-mile walk, just straight south. You can go down to um, Englewood. Average life expectancy is 60. That's 60. 30-year life gap in the third largest city in the richest country ever to exist in history of humanity. It just boggles my mind. And this is before COVID. This is before coronavirus uh, struck our shores. And uh, it should have been a three-alarm fire before this. Uh, but still, yet in this circumstance, we've seen cuts to health. Now, Dennis, uh, let's just back up a little bit uh, before we uh, get to the specific uh, job action strike. Yeah. Uh, job action is such a euphemism. Uh, so you say uh, they closed positions at Provident. So that's a Correct. south side hospital. Uh, yep. Tell folks when this uh, measure was passed and when did, when did you lose your job at Provident? Go ahead. This is just this past winter. Um, uh, December was, was one of my last days there. And I remember one of the last patients I took care of was this young man uh, in his 30s, had, uh, had a full-time job before COVID, lost his job, uh, worked security at a uh, shopping center, uh, has, had diabetes, still has diabetes, and ran out of his insulin, couldn't get his insulin, um, was just drinking water and, do, and taking vitamins to try and keep going. He got so sick, he could barely walk. We had to transfer him over to the to the ICU at, at the main hospital at Stroger. And this is the kind of these are the people that we serve. This is what ha- what's happening in our society. People are losing their jobs. Our health insurance uh, they don't have health insurance. Our health system is totally broken because of its profit centered nature. And they, they cut my job. So my last day was was in December um, down at Provident, and they me as well as several other uh, part time ER nurses have lost their job. They reduced the number of nurses that would be in that. And they've been building that moat around Provident for years. Provident has an amazing history that people should know about. It was the first hospital started by a black doctor, uh, a doctor, Dr. Hale, who was the first doctor to do open heart surgery. First one. Founded this hospital to train black doctors, to train black nurses in the South Side. And they have been building a moat around this hospital for decades. They've cut mother baby, they've cut labor and delivery, they've cut uh, uh, they had an ICU there. They used to have ambulances come there. They've been building this wall around Providence, and now they've been standing back and looking at it and saying, oh, it's weird. Nothing's growing there. People aren't coming. Well, if you cut off the lifelines, you can't be surprised when there's not as many patients coming in. 
So that's that's what's been happening. It just happened recently, just over the past few months that they cut these services. And you say it was cut with, by a unanimous vote of the Cook County Board of Commissioners? You got it. It's just, I, I couldn't believe it. Not and one I, person spoke up on behalf. I support, yeah. And I just don't get it. Wow, that's, and they say uh, there's no money. They say there's no money. And that's the thing that's always stunning to me. If there's a, there's a country that this that this country wants to, to drop bombs on, they've always got money for that. If there's some tax cut for a big corporation, they've always got money for that. If there's some kind of, even on a good thing, you think about this pandemic, how many billions of dollars were dumped in to get a vaccine that is good, we want that, but they have resources. So we know these resources exist. It says that people who run this country, they pick and choose where those resources go. And unfortunately, resources to help black people in the South side, it's not there, unfortunately. Uh, and uh, so what, uh, if they cut, if they cut the funding for nurses yeah. at Providence, I was thinking this through, uh, right. and nurses are let off, are they just going to, do they just close Providence Hospital or is it fewer nurses doing more work? It's, it's fewer nurses doing more work, and there has been a decrease in patients. There's no question to that. But it's because it's by design, the way I look at it. It's like if you cut down, ambulances used to come to Providence, used to bring patients to Providence. They stopped doing that years ago. And so when you cut off, the, when, you, when, you, when you put a chain to the front door, you can't be surprised when no one comes in to, to buy lemonade if you were running a gas station or whatever, or a convenience store. Um, so that's the thing that, that needs a real, there's a, certainly a need for services as evidenced by the life expectancy gap. And it's not just Providence. You think about this is happening across the city. Look at Mercy. I mean, Mercy was a, is a huge hospital, and now it's going to be reimagined or rebuilt as this, as this other by this other company called Insights just took it over recently. And that was a huge hospital that had 50,000 ER visits, thousands of babies born there every year. And again, another hospital on the south side, predominantly serving uh, uh, African-Americans, people of color, um, in Little Village, Chinatown neighborhood. And where are these people supposed to go? It's a shame. Uh, so uh, what is, what's your union asking for from the Cook County government? What are you asking them to do? Go ahead. We want more nurses hired. We need more nurses. I understand it's a pandemic. I understand there's uh, difficulty in hiring people. I mean, the thing that kind of uh, uh, stunned me a bit was when I saw the, the interview, the quote from uh, uh, Madam Preckwinkle in the Sun-Times, where she said, well, I understand that nurses are, 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 staffing is difficult. You want to get more nurses. She says, we, we share that, we share that goal. But at the same time, we have to, we have to increase your, your fees when it comes to health insurance. It's like, well, which one is it then? If you want to hire more nurses, you're not going to do that by, by cutting their pay. I mean, nurses, I, you know, if I lost my job today, I guarantee you in three hours, I'd have a new job. Nurses can find a job anywhere. There's always work for nurses. So you actually have to build up a system to attract nurses, to become a, a force that brings nurses into your system. You're not going to do that if you're cutting services and cutting pay and benefits. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so what did you do after they laid you off at Providence? Well, fortunately, because I have a union, I uh, took up a position at the main hospital at Stroger. So now one day a week I go over there and I, and I work the floor um, and I'm scheduled to work this Thursday. So we'll see if, if, if they come to a deal or not. Um, I'm still waiting to hear on, on that. But I've been working at Stroger uh, there since since they, they closed my position at, at Providence. I don't know what it is uh, about uh, Leaders of Chicago and nurses. This is something that I've been thinking about, uh, Dennis, for a while. Just, just bear, uh, stick with me on this one. Yeah. We spent so much time in this show uh, discussing the teacher strike of 2019. 
And in the teacher strike of 2019, one of the issues raised by the striking Chicago Teachers Union was a demand that they wanted the Board of Education and the mayor to to agree to contractually uh, guarantee a certain number of certain number of nurses in the public schools. And the the mayor didn't want to do that. The leaders of the Board of Education didn't want to do that. The leaders of Editorial Chicago and Corporate Chicago didn't want to do that. They told the teachers to shut up and go back to the classroom, take the raise, and stop worrying about nurses. That's not that's below your pay grade. Only get important people get to worry about nurses. They get this weird thing about nurses, and everybody loves nurses. Now you got that's true. Tony Preckwinkle and Dennis, I'm not going to drag you into this, but maybe you'll get dragged into this. It's like reliving the 2019 mayoral race. And I was told by somebody left you, oh, Ben Preckwinkle's the great progressive. Ben, you don't understand how politics works. Tony Preckwinkle's the progressive that we can count on. I'm like, sure. it seems like she has the same adversity to nurses as Mayor Lori Lightfoot has. Go ahead, yeah. Dennis. I mean, I can't speak to what, what's in her heart of hearts. I mean, I appreciate her. Uh, she has more progressive stances when it comes to, to, to maybe policing or incarceration than, 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 than her opposite on the, on the fifth floor in the city and city hall. I, I, I couldn't speak to what's in her heart. The fact is, is that so many of these politicians, they say one thing and they do another. And, and that to me is the gap that has to be uh, uh, explored. People can't say Black Lives Matter but not fun hospitals that serve African-Americans. That, that gap, you can't have that gap. You gotta, you gotta do one or the other. And I get that these politicians, their hands are tied. Their hands are tied by the budgets. They say, well, I can't do anything because there's no money. But again, let's get back to, let's get that back to brass tacks. There's money in this society. You have billionaires on the way to become trillionaires, some of them shooting themselves off in the space, and you're telling me we don't have money to help poor people get what they need, get a basic thing like healthcare. This country is so messed up when it comes to healthcare. We spend more per capita on healthcare than any country on this planet. And we have some of the worst outcomes. We live less longer, we are more sick, we got more diseases, our babies die uh, more frequently. And if you look at numbers with African-Americans, it's even on more outrageous. Uh, African-American women, four, three to four times as likely to die during childbirth. Black babies, twice as likely to die during childbirth. The death of Chadwick Boseman, you know, the, the actor for, who Black Panther, Black men are 40% more likely to die from colon cancer. These are not genetic things. There's no, there's no melanin-linked gene, which means you're more likely to die from COVID, which African-Americans apparently are 70% of the, the deaths from COVID, only 30% of the population of Chicago. But there's no gene that links that. These are diseases of poverty and of racism. And if these politicians want to put their money where their mouth is, we know the money's there. They got to put it where it belongs. Oh, that was a great riff. By the way, Black Lives Matter, unless you're sick. Then come on, right. guys. They don't matter that much. You know, I, the, the Black Lives Matter movement is an interesting thing. It's been picked up uh, in so many places. I see Black Lives Matter signs throughout the north side of Chicago and in the Evanston, where like a lot right. of liberals live. Now, when it comes to hiring nurses and uh, hospitals that, you know, are mostly uh, used by black people, eh, Black Lives Matter don't right. really matter that much. Okay, Ben, stop being such a liberal. All right, now I, I'm going to uh, read to you. Uh, I printed this out. I'm going to show you. You're the only one who can see this, but I'm going to pretend my listeners can see it. Uh, This is a copy of a statement from Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle on nurses' strike notice. You already alluded to this, but maybe this this the rhetoric is a little different uh, than Lori Lightfoot. When Lori Lightfoot was uh, 
going toe to toe with uh, Stacey Davis Gates uh, and Jesse Sharkey at the Chicago Teachers Union. She did not was not conciliatory. In, like, <laughs> Get in that classroom, or I'll take your car. All right. Now Tony Preckwinkle has a little more conciliatory tone. So I will now uh, read to you the statement from Tony Preckwinkle. And then I'll ask you uh, if it really matters to you if the conciliatory tone, uh, does that mean anything in the long run? So here we go. This is Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle. Um, and she opens by saying, Cook County respects the collective bargaining rights of its employees. As negotiations proceed, Cook County will continue to bargain in good faith. Yesterday, Cook County was served with strike notices from two of the several unions that represent its employees. Cook County fully understands our nurses are striking over staffing shortage. Let us be clear. This is a mutually shared concern. Before COVID, there was a nationwide shortage of nurses. The pandemic has only compounded this shortage. Now, not only do we have a nursing shortage, but because of the devastation wreaked by the pandemic, we have shortages in critical health care and first responder positions. Among our first set of challenges was to provide PPE, then teleworking. Next was pandemic pay and now staffing shortages. We also understand our employees are upset because we asked to increase the employee contributions for health care. Let's be clear. County is known for having one of the best health insurance plans and our employees pay nine cents on a dollar. We have not asked employees for an increase in six years, even though our costs have increased. This is the need in the round of bargaining. Cook County will continue to bargain in good faith to reach fair, sensible, and equitable collective bargaining agreements with all employees representing its employees, with all unions representing its employees. So it's very conciliatory, very respectful. There is a little PS that says, shut up, Dennis, and quit complaining. No, <laughs> uh, just kidding, Dennis. But um, so it is, it's conciliatory uh, in its uh, just the way it's yeah. phrased. Does that make, make a difference to you as a nurse? I mean, I, I think that uh, Preckwinkle may be a more skilled politician than Lori Lightfoot. But thinking about what she, what she says makes me think of the James Baldwin uh, quote, which is, I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. And to me, the proof is in the eating of the pudding. We can see that Cook County Health System has lost hundreds of nurses over the past several years. So this is not a new problem. We didn't wake up yesterday and say, oh no, there's not enough nurses. Oh no, we have uh, black people died disproportionately from COVID. Oh no, look at the gap between uh, Streeterville and Englewood. These are not new problems. So don't pretend that you care about these problems when they are biting you in the rear end. We should be caring about these problems every day of the year. And so I appreciate her words, but let's see them followed up with some action. We need some serious funds to go to close the racist healthcare inequities that have existed in this city and this country for decades, if not centuries. So I'll believe politicians, when they put the money that we know exists, let's get King Griffin. He's, he's, he shelled out a couple million, which is, which is the equivalent of me giving 35 bucks to feed students, the poor students of Chicago. He's got a lot more in that tree. He gets his money off of the wealth and the, the labor of people of the city. Let's put it where it belongs. Let's put that wealth into the health of the people of Chicago. All right, very good. Before I let you go, Dennis, uh, so what will happen if a deal is not cut uh, in the next, I don't know, eight hours, 10 hours or so? What's the next step? We're going to be at the picket lines. So people should come down. If you support us, come down. We're going to be at, at county, at Providence, 
at, uh, at CERMAC, the jail, um, come on down and support us. We would appreciate that. Appreciate any kind of support people can give. Our fight is your fight. What we, our uh, health conditions, our working conditions, are your health conditions. We should be together in this fight for better health in this city. And when will uh, you be on the picket line if, if a deal is not struck? Thursday morning. Thursday, Thursday morning. morning. Yep. What time? 8 a.m. But 8 a.m. I think is when the lines go up. Uh, very good. And have any politicians, any elected officials stood with your union that you can think of right now? Uh, not the top of my head. Wow. I mean, <laughs> what a city. <laughs> <laughs> what a city. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what the wind shakes on Thursday, Ben. But we'll see. We'll see. I hope so. I hope so. Like I said, uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's, I hope they put the money where the mouth come down and walk in line with us and then get into those chamber voting chambers and put their votes where the dollars belong. All right, Dennis, thank you very much. My next guest, uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez, is joining us of the 15th Ward, good friend of the show. And I'm a lefties. Come on now. Let's be respectful to Raylo. The man's a good sport. He comes on the show. He puts up with me. He's been putting up with me. We don't see eye to eye on a lot of things ideologically, to put it mildly, smiling when I'm saying this. Uh, but at least he comes on and uh, we have the honest discussion. And Raymond, first of all, welcome back to the show. It's always fun to see your smiling face. Ben, good morning. Uh, ben and Dennis, good afternoon, actually. Yeah, it's good guys? afternoon. And I guess got to tell you, uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa was on the show last week. I think it was literally a week ago. Where we were, it, we, I discussed with him some of the same issues that I'm going to be discussing with you. Police oversight bill, uh, DuSable Drive. I'm going to uh, entertain that. I, I didn't tell you this in the pre-show, but I'm going to throw elected school board at you. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, and I, you know, stirring up trouble as I'm, I like to do. I said, you know, I think it would be great, Carlos, to have you and uh, Raylo have a debate. And he said he's open to it. Uh, and I would moderate it. Would you be open to that, young man? Is alcohol involved? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can do it at the hideout. And everybody can have a drink. Uh, yes. We have a shot. Every time we disagree, we'll all be drunk in like five minutes. <laughs> well, that's the gag. I have my booze here, so we'll see. Uh uh, if I'm drunk by the end of the show. So I take that as a yes. So maybe I could set that up sometime. That would be I an think, interesting. Think, yeah. You know, Carlos and I've been getting along better as of late. So I don't know how, how much of a fireworks or explosive debate that'll be anymore. Well, well, I don't, I don't need fireworks or explosions and fists flying, but I would like to hear, you know, different points of view going at it. And, uh, I'm going to just tell you this right now, not to scare you or anything. Carlos Ramirez was a hell of a debater. I've watched him on. I've had set up debates. Uh, he debated Brandon Johnson over. Uh, Carlos was for Bernie. John, Brandon was for uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, he debated Alderman David Moore. Similar thing. He debated Joe Moore. I had a. I set up a. So the guy's quick on his feet. Um, but uh, anyway, that's. Uh, we'll but I'm charming, so we'll just call it a draw at that. Okay. <laughs> Charmed over quick on his feet. Let's see how that works. All right. Uh, so much to discuss. I guess we'll, um, gosh, we could start. Uh, uh, let's start with Friday's, uh, what you called uh, the shit show. And you're absolutely correct. Uh, and that was when the city council, this happened while I was on the air. So we really haven't had an opportunity, uh, Raymond, to address it. Uh, but there was a measure, a couple of proposals for a police oversight uh, board. Uh, let me just point this out. Mayor Lori Lightfoot ran as a supporter of a police oversight board. It was very important to mention that her career. In fact, I would argue was largely launched by uh, her outspoken uh, belief that uh, 
we should have police oversight. She positioned herself as a reformer. And here we are two years into it. Is it two years already? Uh, Two years into her uh, administration, no oversight board. There was a vote uh, on a measure that was, well, there was going to be a vote on a measure on Friday and it never actually happened. Uh, So here we are, no oversight board. Why don't you run people through what went down at Friday's meeting uh, just to get us going? So for the past four years, Ben, we know that there's been a, a one side of the table, the gap of folks have been putting forward their plans for what they believe civilian oversight is. You have the CPAC folks who have been putting their version out there. And then at the 11th hour, uh, candidate turned mayor, Lori Lightfoot, presented her police board 2.0 which is the reincarnation of the body she used to be a part of as her compromise to what she campaigned on. And unfortunately, you know, we saw that the GAPA and CPEC folks came together after she was elected, created a unity ordinance called the empowering communities uh, ordinance, uh, which was substituted in, it was going to have its vote Friday, which the chairman had agreed to along with mayor Lori Lightfoot's, uh, version of accountability. And at the end of the day, you know, the chairman uh, was playing like he didn't know what he was doing. You know, do who who's on first, who's on second kind of thing. You had me and Spizzato yelling at each other in the meeting. You had uh, Alderman like uh, Carlos and Maria Head and others trying to jump in, trying to recognize me for trying to recognize what they were doing, being the uh, member of the committee. And at the end of the day, you know, two, uh, two hours later, you know, the meeting was over with nothing accomplished and all of us trying to figure out what the hell just happened here. Um, and basically, for your residents' edification, nothing happened Friday. You know, after years of talk and after months of people coming together and it's the mayor finally dropping something on us, nothing happened. And that, I think, has been the story of her tenure with some of these big-ticket items from her campaign whether you're talking about elected civilian oversight, whether you're talking about elected school board, which I know we're also going to talk about, you know, everything she talks about, she never moves on until the last minute and then wonders why she gets rolled on by everyone who's making decisions without her, tired of waiting for her to step up to the plate. Now, uh, what's so what's your position on uh, the GAPA CPAC bill? You know, I supported and co-sponsored both GAPA and CPAC because I think they both were worthy of a conversation. Um, And I believe that the compromise was a far better version than either two of them separately. Um, And I was hopeful that we could introduce uh, a minor correction uh, regarding the referendum last week, which was an issue with regards to how to appropriate the spending, whether you take that away from aldermen or not. But I was hopeful that we'd have some movement on that issue. And I was supportive of it because I think, you know, we have to have a board that helps restore the legitimacy of law enforcement, particularly when mistakes happen. You know, right now there's too much second guessing. There's too much concern that there's mayoral cover up, CPD departmental cover up, blah, blah, blah. If we finally answer this question openly and honestly, so where people have faith in it, our officers can feel free to do their jobs again and know that if a mistake happens, that they'll be investigated correctly and the public will know it's being investigated correctly. What I didn't like was the fact that the mayor jumped in, like I said, at the last minute with her BS version of the police board, which is basically just an advisory to her appointed by her people all over again, which we already have that, um, and trying to dictate from the fifth floor while she has been completely removed from this process the entire time. 
Um, that I think was wrong of her to do that and to play these games on Friday. Now we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow at city council, because I think there's some, uh, parliamentary maneuvering by a couple of the younger aldermen to try and force the issue. But I think that at the end of the day, our residents are owed some accountability, some civilian accountability for the police department. And we need to give it to them because we can't keep having this discussion. We've seen where in the time frame where this discussion started under Rahm Emanuel till now, you know, even recently you had the Anthony Alvarez, Adam Toledo, you know, regardless of the narratives that they say or I say, you know, someone should have been able to answer the questions openly and honestly to shut all sides up. Mm-hmm. And we're not getting that as at this point. Now, the uh, the general uh, point of opposition to any oversight board and similar to the elected school board runs uh, this way, uh, Alderman. It's uh, the mayor needs to be in charge. Because if the mayor is not in charge, he or she uh, cannot uh, be held accountable for what goes on in the city. So if you have a civilian oversight board for the police or if you have an elected school board uh, for the schools, uh, you're diluting the power of the mayor uh, and that leads to chaos. That is generally the position of the editorial boards, corporate Chicago, civic Chicago uh, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, What's your response uh, to that general opposition to any kind of oversight? Well, I think that, you know, I get what they're saying. And to a a point, I think there's some truth to what they're saying that, you know, you have to have the the buck stops here individual. And for so long, that's been the mayor. Um, But you also have to look at where this mayor, Lori Lightfoot, has brought us uh, by her administration going from being the candidate who talked about being the most open and transparent and accessible mayor that we could ever plan on to being the most guarded, secluded, and power-hungry individual eclipsing Rahm Emanuel and Richie Daly combined. You know, she's done wonders to completely blow out that stereotype. And she has done more damage to that argument that, you know, good people just need to be in charge to run things and everything will go smoothly. Because even when you elect the great reformer that Chicagoans thought they did, she still left it up. She still tried to fight Anjanette Young. She still tried to do her own cover-ups. And you know what? I'm sorry, but I just don't buy that argument anymore. And take that as someone who's not a lefty, far from it. But I understand that the message has been so convoluted by everyone who, it's kind of like that Lord of the Rings. And she's like, oh, my precious, got to hold on to it so strongly because she wants that power still. You know, they've screwed that up. And now we need to try something different. We need to let the public into this into this universe here. And, you know, the Chicago will know whether or not the, it's at the fault of the policymakers or the mayor. But right now, I don't think anyone really trusts a mayor regard or a mayoral candidate for that matter to say, oh, I will I will be different because the most different of difference turned out to be the exact same. If, if, in your opinion, if there had been a vote, uh, and part of the part of the maneuvering that went on was they uh, tabled the matter, and there was no uh, vote on uh, the compromise. And by the way, I cannot accentuate how significant it was that they reached a compromise because Raymond, for so long, we would have debates on the show between uh, the GAPA people and the CPAC people, and uh, the CPAC people were a little more uh, restrictive in regarding the police uh, oversight board than the GAPA people, and they they finally said, you know, we want something, so we're going to come together. And uh, 
So they came together, they got their measure together, they brought it out there. Uh, the chairman of uh, the committee, Talia Farrow, who's appointed by Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Let's just pause Raymond Lopez to think about how bizarre that is. One more time. Chicago and, a police, just, and a police officer, by the way. Yeah, he's a police officer. But just the notion that the mayor appoints the chairman of the legislative committees. Does, you know, Joe Biden tell what Nancy Pelosi who gets to sit on her committees and did Donnie Trump get to tell uh, Nancy Pelosi who sat on her? No, you have a legislative body. You have an executive body, not in Chicago. Uh, so anyway, Telly Faro, um, I just I can't believe this. So the vote comes out. It was your good friend, Nick Spazzato, uh, put up, put the measure out to uh, table it. 10 to nine was the vote. Am I correct? I'm doing this from memory. It was a very close yes. vote as to t- table the measure where you want to, did you get to vote on that one, Raymond? I did. I voted. I, I vote. I was trying to save the proposal actually. Cause so I, you I, wanted I the nine process was being ignored at the, on that, on that day. Um, I don't know if you saw some of my tweets, but, you know, all, the chairman Taylor Farrell was saying, oh, well, I don't know who to recognize or I don't know who's talking or I don't know what I don't know what's going on. Uh, and I was taking, you know, the great thing about Zoom is you could screenshot who's got their hands up. There's no denying who's trying to get your attention or who's talking. You know, you don't get to be like Lori Lightfoot on the days saying, oh, I can't see anybody from my vantage point here. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you, you've got to you, there's there's a way to see it. And twice. You know, the chairman was going above and beyond to ignore people trying to have their say and cherry picking who he wanted to hear, obviously, um, to make the motions, as we saw the mayor do last meeting with the Lakeshore Drive and other things. But I think it's unfortunate, to your point, people finally came together. Competing ideas came together. Both were not happy because they all lost something, but it made something so much better, which is what you hope government would do. And, you know, Public Safety Committee, 10 folks just weren't, didn't want to hear it. And somehow, as soon as that died or was put off to the side, then the sponsors pulled it because I think if that substitute had been accepted, that matter would have passed Friday and it would have been forced to be reported out of committee tomorrow as the new law of the land. I firmly believe it would have passed Friday with, with the substitute referendum issue taken care of. Yeah, which, by the way, but I find bizarre. Let's just talk about the, the referendum would have uh, put to the public whether they wanted a body that has the ability to uh, hire and fire a police chief. Am I correct on that? That in the uh, the budget spending, I think, was, the, I think, the issue also. I think so was- what's uh, uh, expressing my inner Pat Quinn? What's the problem with allowing uh, the, the voters of Chicago to weigh in on this? This is like a prime issue that the voters must decide. Do we want an oversight body and a real oversight body that says to the mayor, you just can't put Billy Bob in to be police chief because he's your friend or you like him. We have the ability to have oversight on this key position. I think the voters should get a chance to weigh in. That's called democracy. What's your thoughts about that? Well, you do get a chance to weigh in. You get to elect people and you get to elect people even in this in this new compromise version as well. I think the issue that some of my colleagues had was who was going to be the end all responsible signatory for the budgeting issues of the department. And I think that was where that compromise came in and addressed some of that because there were some colleagues of mine who were supportive, but still leery of acquiescing to just, you know, straight public demands on the budget when we are the ones who are 
responsible from a fiduciary standpoint. And I think that was what was also resolved in that substitute, which again would have brought more people who were leaning on the fence, who are on the fence, leaning our way fully on, onto our team. All right. Uh, so, uh, by the way, you- mayor would have completely lost Friday, by the way, because she was quick to pull hers the moment that the, the, the main one was pulled as well. She didn't even want so to when you say, yeah, in other words, the mayor had her proposal, as you were saying, that she introduced at the very last moment, that was like a watered down version of the, of the deal that GAPA and CPAC had struck. So when you say a substitute ordinance, you're talking about the mayor's proposal. Is that what you meant? Is that what you meant by the substitute no, no, no. ordinance? So there, were, so there were two items on Friday. The substitute, which dealt with some of the concerns, was more for the compromise to get more people on the compromise version. The mayor had her version. Got it. Produced. Uh, but she pulled it as soon as the other one was pulled to. Yeah. Uh, so it was tabled. <laughs> so do you think if they had a, uh, if they got it out of committee, uh, the, uh, the ordinance, the CPAC GAPA ordinance would pass at the city council meeting? I think so. I, I think there was enough votes not only to get it out of committee, but once some of those individuals on the Northwest and North sides would have followed suit and joined into the, uh, into the uh, compromise camp. Wow. That's interesting. Uh, that would, uh, do you talk about, I, I can't imagine my good friend, Nick Spazzato being on the compromise camp, no matter what. Uh, but that's a whole other issue. Uh, since you mentioned, uh, you, you, you alluded to the DeSable drive compromise, excuse me, the DeSable uh, drive showdown from the last city council meeting. Uh, while I'm sitting here, I see the, the tribune sent out a, a news uh, flash that looks like they're going to cut a deal and call it DeSable Lakeshore drive. What a city we live in. Uh, anyway, uh, Raymond, I, we're going to play for you this clip. It's become my favorite uh, city council Lori Lightfoot clip of the last couple weeks. Uh, and it, it, it uh, points out uh, just what you were talking about, uh, the creative way that the mayor. So not only does the mayor, just folks, this is the city we live in. Not only does the mayor uh, in, our, in our city get to appoint the chairs of the legislative body, she chairs the meeting of the legislative body. So she can decide who gets to speak when she wants them to speak. And she can order people to turn off microphones, et cetera, and so forth. So you can't speak. Uh, And it can be very important who the mayor decides to speak first, because there's a matter of defer and publish. And so we're going to, I've been love, I love playing this clip. Uh, and uh, we're going to play this clip from a, a meeting a couple of weeks ago. Sophia King, all women of the fourth ward wanted to have uh, to push to rename to Sable drive. Uh, Brian Hopkins, alderman of the second ward wanted to uh, push it, postpone it. Let's hear how uh, mayor Lori Lightfoot handled this matter. Go ahead, Dennis, play it. One second, hang tight. Got to mess with my Bluetooth here. Hey, Raylo, how's it been? Having a good summer? What's shaking? Nothing much. Summer going good? <laughs> so far. All right. As soon as my husband opens up the pool, it'll be going better. Oh, heck yeah. I know what you're talking about. I feel you. All right. Here is the clip. Alderman Hopkins raised. Alderman oh, Hopkins. I had my hand up before. I called for a roll call first. Alderman Hopkins has had his hand up. Oh, come on. How rude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. And then Lori Leffert starts giving uh, Sophia King grief. Don't talk out of order. <laughs> she starts like go- gaslighting her. 
She didn't. Man, I miss the days when we just drop f bombs at each other. <laughs> oh, well, we got that clip too. We can play anytime you want, uh, Raymond. Uh, all right, so uh, you saw it happen. What were your thoughts as that was going down? I did, and you know, that's just exactly the problem that we were just talking about with the committee, where you choose who you want to hear from. You choose who's going to make the motion first that you need to make to try and stifle the business of the city of Chicago. And, you know, the crazy thing is that I don't know how this could have been any more uh, strenuous for the mayor to try and make it not look like she was picking favorites. Because first off, if we had been back in the room together, those two would have been sitting next to each other. So she would have had to look at either one of them. But they weren't. They were on Zoom, which means both hands are showing up on the screen. And the mayor's got like this 42-inch screen TV in front of her desk with all of our pictures on there. So she can see clearly who's got hands up and who doesn't. Um, But this is stifling democracy. This is stifling procedure. And I will tell you that Mayor Lightfoot, going back to Carlos and I, one of the things that we agree on when it comes to this administration is that she has no clue what the rules are. Never bothered to read the rules of procedure book. Couldn't give two craps about it anyway because she's got 26 enablers who are going to side with her no matter what to just keep steamrolling right through and... You know, I wasn't around for daily. I've only worked one term with Ron, but I sure don't remember too much of that kind of action where it was so blatant. You might get a chance to speak and then you'd fail because nobody would support you. But this is, we don't even want to hear you. We don't give a crap what your point is. We're just going to keep rolling and pretending like, you know, oh, this is just how it's going to be. And again, the great reformer turned out to be most oppressive tyrant we've seen in, in that seat in a long, long time. Well, I'm I'm not quite sure. Uh, that's uh, hold on. I'm gonna have to drink to that one because <laughs> I don't, I disagree with that one. I would I I lived through daily. Uh, wrote yeah. about him. Long time. Long What's long. that? The most the most tyrannical person I've seen and had to deal with. In a okay, long. very good. Uh, I, I don't have to drink to that. That's your point of view. Um, all right, uh, let's move on to your latest proposal, uh, parental accountability bill, and. Um, Wow. Why don't you explain what it is first and then I'll take it from there. <laughs> so, you know, no shocker to your, to your audience, you know, safety and security in our neighborhoods is a big thing for me. And I know, and I've said this six plus years now that you can't arrest your way out. We've got to start making some fundamental changes in our neighborhoods. But one of the things that I've noticed is lacking, particularly when we talk about generational gang violence is that parents seem to also be a problem, either by not paying attention or by instilling all the bad thing, all the bad behaviors and things that we don't need our kids to be getting from their parents. So Alderman, uh, Matt O'Shea, Silvana Tabaris, Brendan Riley, Anthony Napolitano and I are introducing an ordinance tomorrow at, at City Council that will take a look at, I believe it's section, uh, it's chapter eight of the municipal code that deals with offenses by minors. And basically, we are going to start including parents uh, in on the actions for their children, holding them accountable, both in terms of paying the fines or raising the fines fivefold uh, in most cases to address some of the issues in that chapter, as well as mandating licensed family counseling so that parents can start getting reengaged in the lives of their children. You know, we've seen where laws that also... Ca- Tra- uh, connect with parents 
change behaviors of the children. We've seen that with graffiti. We've seen that with drinking. And we need to start making sure that we take that into account as we see more and more teens and, and youth running amok in our city. And we all seem to always say the same thing every the following day. Where are their parents at? You know, so we need to start engaging parents. And if it, nothing else, this better get the parents' attention to say, look, you know, I've got to start doing a better job. Well, here's where I'm, uh, hold on, drink to disagree. Uh, <laughs> Take two, I'll give you I'm, a minute. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hold on, here we go. Hold on, let me just have this drink. Here we go. I need water anyway. Uh, having raised kids, having coached kids, uh, having seen what kids do, a lot of it is is out of the parents' control. So, I mean, <laughs> oh my God, Raymond, I could tell you so many stories of kids that would they would act like they were the sweetest, nicest kids in the world, and they were running buck wild on the weekends, getting in all kinds of trouble, and their parents getting phone calls in the middle of the night. And I'm not naming any names, okay? I don't want to embarrass any uh, young people now who are healthy members of society and good, upstanding citizens, this, that, and the other thing. But you know who you are if you're listening. Dennis. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like reminds me when um, uh, during the debate with Mayor Rahm and uh, Jesus Garcia back in 2015, and Phil Ponce said to uh, – uh, Jesus Garcia, I don't know if you remember this, Raymond. Uh, he goes, um, how can we elect you mayor of the city of Chicago when you take, can't take care of your son? And uh, apparently Jesus Garcia's uh, son had had some run-ins with the law. And uh, what's that? He was a gangbanger. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, uh, it's Raymond Lopez just coming right out there and <laughs> beating around the bush. And uh, I was like, well, that's really unfair because you know, you could be the greatest parent in the world. Your kid just wants to push the envelope, wants to, you know, uh, fight authority, wants to run with the bad crowd. You know, you lose control for a moment. And more often than not, they come out of it. They grow up. They realize the errors are their ways. But I don't know what sending a finding a parent's going to do, you know what I mean? It's not like they want the kid to be running amok. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, it's not like mayor Rahm driving through a red light, just ignoring the law. Speaking of things that mayors did, that's not to let him off the hook. Uh, it's just, they lost control of the kid because the kid was going through some stuff and then the kid emerges and is an outstanding citizen. So I'm not certain that punishing a parent for the kid doing what kids do, which is rebel, is actually going to be a deterrent, your response. I don't know if kids being kids is inclusive of carjacking. I don't know if kids being kids is inclusive of rioting and looting. I don't know if kids being kids is inclusive of running around at 2 a.m. with a gun shooting at people on 23rd and Kedzie. You know, I don't, I don't think that's kid stuff. And I think that's more so what we're talking about. I get kids being little badass babies, kids. I get it. I, I was no different. I was, I was a grade A student in high school and a son of a gun in the neighborhood. I get it. But I also know that there's a line that to be drawn when you look at what kid, where we're at now. We're not just talking about everyday kind of, you know, trouble, troublemaking tomfoolery by teenagers. We're talking about violent 
youth whose parents either don't know that their kids are running out at night or don't care that they're hanging out, their 13-year-old's hanging out with a 24-year-old. You know, there, there are serious things that parents need to get re-engaged and involved in uh, when it comes to their children's lives so that those incidents don't become the next major headline that we keep seeing time and again in the city of Chicago. Look, I'm not saying this is a, an end-all, cure-all, but it's definitely a start of a conversation to be had as to the role of parental abilities. And I said from the very beginning, you know, if we start investing in our family units, and I know there's a, you know, the way we invest in all these other grief-driven programs that are out there by all these poverty pimps trying to take advantage of everything, if we invested in our families the way we invest in them, we would not be in the situation we are today. If we focused on health, on childcare and things of that nature and helping moms and dads learn how to be better parents, especially when they may not have had the best parents on their own, then we'd have a very different Chicago. All right. So if your uh, measure passes, would uh, Adam Toledo's uh, parents uh, be punished for him being out at night? I think was, I think there's probably a lot more for the mom to have been punished for up until that point, aside from everything else that was going on. Clearly, this was not a, a, a new acquaintance and clearly this was not the first time running outside. But I think as someone who has seen the impact of generational gun violence in my communities live and in my face, you know, when you have parents teaching kids how to do graffiti, when you have parents teaching kids how to shoot people or to do hunt people down or do all this, you've got to make the break. You've got to break that cycle. And if that means holding them accountable for that, too, then so be it. All right. Uh, Boy, this will be a, a, a difficult bill to get to the city council. I'm not sure. I think this will be a bill that gets lopped locked in committee without a vote. What's your prediction? Well, let's see who opposes it and let's see what their wards look like. Just well, like- speaking of that point, uh, and I, I have to raise, uh, talk about this ongoing debate I have with a good friend of, of the show, Mark Sims, uh, who lives on the South side. Uh, and he's uh, in a neighborhood that has much more crime than my North side neighborhood. And I go for walks every night. It's what I do to keep from uh, losing my mind, Raymond, and try <laughs> not, not successfully to stay in shape. And Mark teases me because he says, because uh, a lot of times we're talking, I'm talking to him on the phone as we're going for a walk, and I, as I'm going for a walk. And he goes, I can't walk in my neighborhood, Ben. Nobody walks in my neighborhood at night. We'll get shot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about that. Like, there's certain freedoms that I have because I live in a, re- in a relatively low crime area that Mark does not have. And you do not have because you live in an area with a lot of crime and you yourself have been targeted uh, with graffiti. And I think someone put a, ro- a brick or a rock through your window, et cetera, and so forth. Um, so would you go for a walk at night in your neighborhood? Like just to get some exercise, clear your mind, think about the, the things that went on today, try to stay in shape. I mean, I, I would, I mean, I'm not going to let some of the gangs push me back into my house and not come out, but I know I'm a, I'm a rare exception. Um, some people think I'm just nuts, but I refuse to be intimidated by those jackasses who think that standing on the corners where they belong and me cowering in my living room, looking behind the sheets where I belong. Um, but I do know and can sympathize with many who refuse to go out at night. I have seniors who won't go out as soon as it starts getting dark, even to a store, they won't drive. Um, and we see that in many neighborhoods. And what I think and we're seeing now is that that level of fear that used to be contained just to certain neighborhoods 
is expanding and metastasizing in other neighborhoods now. The cancer of, of gang and, and drug violence is spreading, and it's spreading in places most people would never have anticipated seeing it. You talk about you know walking in your neighborhood. You can't even walk in the South Loop, as we've seen this weekend, without possibly being attacked, mugged, stabbed, or killed. You drive down Lower Wacker Drive, and all you see is gang graffiti all up and down from one end to the next because, you know, various gangs are trying to commandeer the, the illicit drug market down there. You know, everything that used to be confined to, quote, unquote, those neighborhoods, our neighborhoods, is now branching out and spreading out um, because they know that law enforcement's unable and in many cases not allowed to engage them in a way that used to restrict them or hold them back. And unless we t- get some changes in that policy and started addressing those individuals who are committed to spreading that lifestyle throughout the city of Chicago. We're going to continue to see what used to be just fears of my neighborhood being become the fears of all Chicagoans. All right. We're going to pause while I take another shot. Uh, I I've been living in this town a long time, Raymond. I've, this town town has been filled with crime since I've been here and police have been locking up people, sweeping the streets. They, they used various excuses. When I first got here, it was congregating. There was an excuse, no congregating uh, on street corners. That was an excuse. Then reefer became the excuse. Everybody was locked up for having a reefer. I just, and murder rates were up. People were getting shot. I didn't see any evidence whatsoever that just throwing people into jail brought down crime anywhere in the city of Chicago. Uh, and now I, I, like the, they added to the responses when there's a murder, like the one you just alluded to in the South Loop where a woman was stabbed. Uh, well, that wouldn't have happened if police were just locking people up. And I, I just haven't seen no evidence whatsoever, Raymond, that just randomly locking up large groups of people has brought down crime. Your response? Well, I, I don't think I said just randomly lock up people. You know, I'm not talking about having the Gestapo drive up and down Kedzie Avenue, grabbing kids as they're, as they're on their way to school. Um, what I'm talking about is that, you know, if you know who is in your neighborhood, you know who's on your block causing trouble. If you know who the magnets of violence and, gang and drug activity is on your block, that's who the police should be able to target. That's who they should be able to arrest. That's who belongs in jail, especially if they have no intention about trying to change their ways. Absolutely. Get rid of them because they don't belong in a community because all they're going to do is continue to terrorize that neighborhood. That is where you need strong and direct policing. Now, for everyone else that's in the periphery, just hanging out because they've got nothing else to do, you need to address them differently. You can't just arrest them because they've got nothing going on. I get that. But we have seen time and again where individuals who we know are committed to that lifestyle don't get arrested, don't go sent to jail. And they wind up killing more and more people. We had that two weeks ago where six known gang members moved into a house and in less than 10 hours killed the woman at the other end of the block because they didn't know who she was. She'd lived there for 20 years. They just got there. And now they're all on the run as we're looking for them because they're the ones causing problems. And what worries me about that is that, you know, CPS and CTU and all them, and I'm really going to get your people riled up now, have talked about, you know, getting police out of schools. But then just today, the Sun-Times released a new policy that says you're not going to involve CPD in anything unless it's an extraordinary emergency in schools. Well, that policy is wrong 
Because what I've seen in my communities is that oftentimes the teachers, the principals, the schools know who the problem kids are. They know who the problem houses are. And they refuse to let anyone know because they want their hugs and kisses policies of inclusion to take over as opposed to the, the needing for discipline and adjustment. And that's only going to exacerbate the problems in our neighborhoods more so than any bad policing ever will. All right. By the way, for the record, uh, I, I'm with you on, in fact, uh, Troy LaRavier, who is uh, one of our, uh, my favorite guests uh, on the left, says that it should be up to the schools, individual schools, whether they want police in schools. And I'm, that's my position. It should be up to uh, the schools. <clears throat> what I say, though, is that the, the police, but the money for those police in the schools should be coming out of the police department's budget, not the school's budget. OK, that should be if it's policing, it should come out of the police department's budget. And even though those police are uh, directed to go into the schools and so, yeah, I'm with you on that one. If 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 a principal and the local school council want to have a, a police officer in a school and they've worked with the police department to have a police officer, they think works well with their students. I, I don't like who am I to say no, man, my shot glass was empty, empty. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Moses. <laughs> no, that's, that's my attitude about it. Who am I to say no? If the local school council and the principal want it, um, I mean. If you guys support democracy, then you got to let the local school kids make their decisions. Yeah, I do. And uh, I, th- I believe they know what's best for their school. But, you know, you just, you sh- like you said, if you got cops just walking, whacking kids over the head, I mean, that's not a good idea. You know, I, uh, you should take into account just how they get along with the with the very, kids at the school. Very true. Now, I've got a school in West End. I, my two school resource officers in the seventh district, which deals predominantly with like Englewood and West Englewood, those kids love those officers because those officers are always just very positive, very engaging with the students. They're not, you know, you know, the, the long arm of the law. They're just like two friends who also happen to have. A badge and those if, if we had more like them in every school i don't think we'd be even having this debate well right that's now. where we have the training that's where you need yep. the training if you're going to be a police officer in a school you should have training about how to deal with kids and how to talk them down a little bit and you're you have to have more of that social worker in you and not just be the cop with the billies i mean that's the reality kind you, of like parents yeah kind of like parents and then in the end you get wait we're gonna punish the cops if the kid does something wrong are we gonna take we're gonna police accountability bill like a parental count well police okay. officer friendly this kid violated the law on your watch uh alderman lopez is going to fine you oh, that'll be a subject for another debate uh by the way i didn't get a prediction from you do you think that the sobble drive uh compromise will pass tomorrow i'm getting uh predictions from everybody on this well, I don't know what the compromise is going to be. I mean, you, you can't call it the uh, LSD, JD, PPER, whatever. We're going to run out of letters to throw <laughs> what, that, what that is. Machine um, Yeah, I don't even know how many letters you could put on there. And I don't even know if we have time to come up with a compromise. I will say this, though. I would be shocked. Bold capital underline. Shocked. If... Alderman King and Alderman Moore accept any compromise from Mayor Lori Lightfoot because I think she has been so disrespectful to them and so untrustworthy that unless they are completely being played for fools by accepting her deal, that they shouldn't take it because she has shown time and again that she doesn't keep her end of the bargains. Just ask Anjanette Young. 
Absolutely. And Jeanette Young has been a guest on this show. Uh, David Moore was a guest on the show not too long ago t- talking about disciple drive. And if I were an alderman, which is so funny just thinking of me as an alderman. Uh, the Honorable uh, Ray- <laughs> the honorable, the honorable Ben Jarofsky, uh, who never leaves his house except to go for late night walks. Uh, so the if I were the alderman, I would vote a hundred percent with David Moore in this one. I'm, I'm a David. I'm with you a hundred percent. If it's just you and me, David and Sophia King, I'm going down with you because I feel you've done everything by the book. You did it the right way. Uh, and they keep throwing these ridiculous obstacles. And who cares? You can call it Lakeshore Drive if you want to call it Lakeshore Drive. Uh, what's if? <laughs> you know, In the end, like that's what's going to happen anyway. Exactly. It's like Sox Park. I still call it Sox Park. I don't I guarantee rate field. So uh, tower, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so okay. That's how I would vote if I were in the city council. You are in the city council. You get a vote if the matter comes up at tomorrow's meeting. How will you vote, Raymond Lopez? Go. Assuming it is the same thing where we left off, I'll be voting yes. I, I think that this has been a distraction that has gone on for far too long. We could have settled this months ago as like adults, but we've chosen to devolve into angry little children fighting in the same sandbox with each other on this issue. We need to get past this because there's more important things going on right now. So you would vote with David Moore and Sophia King? Yes. Okay. And Ben Jarof- the Honorable Ben Jarofsky, and, if he were uh, Finance Chairman Ben Jarofsky. Well, <laughs> oh I, don't my- you, I don't know if you want that. Everyone seems to change when they get it. Oh my God. Could you imagine me as finance chair? Like your good pal, Ed Burke. I'd suddenly have a, uh, a, uh, a you'd, be the, you'd be the tip czar. I'd be the tip czar. <laughs> I'd have a property tax business. Well, you gotta have a property tax business. If you're gonna uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, come on, Ed Burke, you should have dropped that property tax. Think about how much better life would be. If you didn't have that property, you too, Michael Joseph Madigan. All right. Uh, we'll close with elected school board. <laughs> And um, my memory is, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you were against the elected. You were actually on Lori Lightfoot's side on this thing. My, that's my memory when it came before the Cook County Board. Do I have that correct? Is my memory correct in that? Or has it been abused by all the uh, marijuana I smoked in the 80s? Well, all the edibles from the 80s probably have not helped. But I will say that I wasn't necessarily on her side. I just didn't believe it was the right place for the Democratic Party to be sticking its two cents in. Um, it just so happened that that benefited her uh, at that point, but it had nothing to do with trying to take one for that team. Um, <laughs> poor Ben just jokes. <laughs> um, but I will say this is that, you know, I've always advocated for a hybrid school board because I think having so many schools in my Latino communities where most of my parents wouldn't be able to vote and participate, I've always been worried about how do you include them? Local school councils, doesn't matter if you're a citizen or not. If you're a parent or a community, you can vote there locally. But you will not have that option uh, in, a new elect, in a new electoral process. You know, citizens vote. That's it. That's the law of the land. Um, and I think it would have been great to have some sort of hybrid that incorporated both an elected portion as well as some uh, ability for the mayor to appoint to ensure that we had some balance and representation. That op- that option is gone now. Uh, but again, that is a failure of Lightfoot to get involved in the actual sausage making of 
decisions down in Springfield and to culture, cultivate relationships. That ship sailed without her, like so many things, left her on the dock, and now she's upset that life's moving on without her. And sadly, we are two years in. Springfield is going its own way. City Council is starting to go its own way. And before they know it, the rest of Chicago is going to go its own way with Lori Lightfoot still standing there wondering what the hell just happened. Uh, by the way, that could be a prediction that Lori Life would not get reelected there. I just want to point out, this is so, uh, I'm getting, I didn't uh, but kind of embedded in that. Uh, I just want to point out that this is the delightful irony here. Listening uh, to that last, last riff you went on, uh, Raymond, you sounded so much like your, your good friend, uh, former Congressman Luis Gutierrez, who made the same pronouncement, uh, not too long ago that he's against this elected school board bill because he believes, uh, that non-citizens should have a chance at representation. And I just, I had a huge smile on my face when I saw that. And, uh, Louis, you know, you're a friend of the show. You come on too, but you were a supporter of Mayor Daly. And you were a supporter of Mayor Rahm. And I never saw Mayor Daly or Mayor Rahm use their appointment authority ever to put a non-citizen on the... Look, they always put on bankers and lawyers and developers and all kinds of inside players, uh, Raymond Lopez, on the school board. And supposedly these fiduciary wizards of the world who know so much how markets work and somehow are, we're always broke. We're always signing on to these cockamamie borrowing schemes that cost the public millions and millions of dollars with the greatest minds that LaSalle Street has on the school board. So I, I just find it interesting that it, when we're getting to the moment where we have a Democratic elected school board, all of a sudden, hey, what about non-citizen parents they have to be on come on (laughs) go ahead well i've said that from the very beginning i've I've always said that because that has been a concern of mine for my residents now i I will gladly admit that everyone up until this point who's had the ability to appoint has taken full advantage of pinstripe patronage as has this mayor uh to ensure all of those you know three-piece suitors with the pinstripes uh get taken care of no argument um it's just something I've been very consistent about. And it's actually one of the reasons CTU wouldn't endorse me because they said that I w- would never support a fully elected school board because I kept saying, well, what about the undocumented? Lo and behold, six years later, now look who's talking about the undocumented. It's, it's all the left. It's, it's the mayor. It's CTU. Now everyone's worried because now they finally got their wish and they don't know how it's going to proceed. You know, we have seen in school districts all across the state You know, they stick to it as just a normal election, like for any other elected office. And if that's the route we're going to go, then so be it. Call it and let's move on. But, you know, the more we keep bickering back and forth and the more the mayor keeps throwing digs at Springfield, trying to say that they didn't know what they were doing or they made a bill with deficiencies and all this X, Y and Z business. You know, if only she were that vocal when they were talking about cannabis in the city of Chicago, then she just rolled over for them. You know, now she's upset because it's something she doesn't want. Well, Get involved, lady. I don't know what to tell you because right now that ship is getting further. The dock's getting further and further away. You don't know where you're you're, you're floating down to. And at this point, school boards, as far as I'm concerned, is over and done with. Let's get ready for the transition. And at the end of the day, whoever's elected is going to have to start answering for why their the Cook County property tax bill in Chicago is 53% board of education. Get ready to start answering those questions. Get ready to start answering the accountability of all of your funding issues on why you could get $9 billion from the federal government and still don't have a pot to piss in. 
get ready to start answering those questions because that's what you're going to have as being an elected official moving forward. And to be quite honest, not having to deal with that issues as an alderman is going to be great for me because now I don't have to get the two for one slam as to what the schools are doing versus what the city's doing. Yeah. Now you have your own elected officials, give them a call. That was a great riff. And I'll just say this about that. Uh, one of the most bizarre arguments that uh, the uh, anti-elected school board folks cooked up at the last minute, in addition to this, the non-citizen thing, which they jumped on at the last moment, uh, as opposed to you who was for it before. But one of the most bizarre issues was somehow or other, if we have an elected school board, then the city of Chicago won't be able to assist the board of education when it comes to funding uh, school programs. And I always, I just smile when I say this because this is my favorite topic and Raymond knows where I'm going. That a lot of that funding is TIF money, which is taken diverted from the public schools in the first place. So they take $10 out, they give them $5 back and they tell them shut up and like it. And all these mayoral appointed board members, Raymond go, yeah, thank you, Madam Mayor or Mr. Mayor, whoever the person is. Thank you for giving us $5 back of the $10 we already gave you. Of the 10 bucks you owe me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, I had this discussion with somebody else and I I think it's very apropos. If the city of Chicago is going to take that stance, and I think the mayor's budget team uh, has said that, you know, if they go for an elected school board, Chicago is going to cut off the funding that it gives to CPS, which I think is in the order of, you know, several hundred million dollars a year. You know what, if we're going to take that stance, then Springfield needs to look at a way to exclude the board of education tax levy from all tips moving forward. So that then if you're going to make them be their own person, fine. I'm fine. I'm good with that. But then I shouldn't be stealing from them either because right now what the TIF does, it prevents, as you know, money from going into their account. So they have to raise the levy even higher. Nobody knows why it's so high. Fine, you know what, then CPS Board of Education, you will be over there, and the only thing that's TIF impacted will be everything else but them. And I think the reason they won't pursue that route is because then once you start doing that, you're going to have to do it for the county, you're going to have to do it for the water reclamation, your park district, your uh, 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 city colleges, all the other taxing bodies are going to have their hand out saying, what about us, we want to be next. And pretty soon that TIF surplus of a billion dollars a year is probably going to only look like about a hundred million by the time we get refunding everybody on an annual basis. Yeah. And by the way, we did it with the red line. I just want to say this, the red line expansion bill uh, excluded the schools. Uh, And you know what, if, if the County wakes up and uh, starts demanding that TIF money back, then we may have something. Oh God, shock. I'd be saying this like honesty and transparency in budgeting. <laughs> Isn't it funny? All these do-gooders who are against an elected school board are using this argument that we should have a lack of transparency. We should have Peter pay Paul type financing to justify keeping all the power in the yeah. mayor's office. Don't Careful what you ask for, because when you're the one in charge, all of a sudden you don't want to give it up. And look how many reformers have switched their tunes now that they're the ones calling the shots. Any names you want to mention before we head out the door? I don't think I have to name his name, but you know who he is. <laughs> Scotty Waggis back. Come on. Good friend of this show. He hasn't been on in a while. By the way, I just want See, to say. I can't Sue imagine why, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he, has, he hasn't been on in a while. But Sue Sadlowski Garza will be coming on, folks. I, uh, she'll be coming on in a couple of weeks. So it'll be fun talking with her. Just wanted to mention that. And also, since we're talking like the school board, I'm doing a little promotion here. July 6th. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, uh, at the hideout, we're going to return to the hideout. We're going to have a show. Uh, God, 
back live shows and we're talking elected school board state representative delia ramirez uh state senator rob martwick the sponsors of the bill uh and uh, rod wilson from coco will be on there he's against it because he doesn't like any um uh, he doesn't want that 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 uh, momentary that moment in the before the full board takes over where the uh, the mayor gets to appoint it so it should be a very interesting discussion and i'm going to be playing the role uh in this discussion raylo of, of the do-gooders from downtown who are against an elected school board uh <laughs> because i want the tip money uh to go into the mayor's office first so anyway that'll be a lot of fun when you do those shows you need to have a politician come be the bartender <laughs> well, I'm going to I I got you and Carlos who agreed uh, on this show to appear. So we're going to set this up. Bring it's going to be a, uh, <laughs> my God, you Car- Carlos is going to need some help. No, actually, Carlos, go. I'll take them both on uh, Spazzato Lopez uh, versus Carlos. That'll be uh, actually you and Nick didn't agree eye to eye on the p- police oversight. So That's I was okay. a little surprised by that. Uh, come on, Nick. We need a little police oversight. It's, it's not going to be the end of the world. All right, uh, Raymond, we didn't get a chance to talk about cops retiring, but we'll do that the next time you're on the show. And I had a feeling uh, we would use up all the time before we got to all the items. So thanks for coming on. It's always a blast talking politics with you. Ben, you and your listener, Dennis Gratinian, stay safe, stay wonderful, start drinking. Okay, I'll start drinking. It's uh, what time is it? It's 2 30. I'm not starting. It was water, ladies and gentlemen. It was just water I was drinking. Uh, that's Alderman Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward. Always fun talking to him. Also, want to thank uh, Dennis Kosit, uh, one of the striking nurses, or they may go on strike uh, from uh, Cook County. Come on, Tony Preckwinkle. Come on, Tony. Come on, show Lowell O's lefties in Chicago why it was such a good idea to vote for you and find the money somewhere. Find the money somewhere uh, to hire some nurses. Why is it that I'm always begging these powerful politicians to hire? What do they have against nurses? Anyway, I want to thank uh, Dennis for coming on and uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez. And speaking of Dennis's, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy at Alderman, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Alderman Raymond Lopez and Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa will tell you, one of the few things they agree on, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. 